The more you can handle these tough situations, these stressful situations, the more productive and the more successful you're going to be because then you can look at them with a clear mind, handle them, and move on and not let it wreck the rest of your day. Hey, podcast listener. You're about to discover insider tips, tricks, and secrets to making more sales and converting more prospects into customers with email marketing. For more information about the Email Marketing Podcast or the Autoresponder Guy, go to dropdeadcopy.com slash podcast. It's John McIntyre here, the Autoresponder Guy. I'm here with Peter Arwood. Now, uh, Peter came to me via email. He, uh, one of the guys on his team hit us up. And uh, originally, I thought it was to go on his podcast because he has a podcast, a little bit confusing. And then I get on the phone today and I find out that uh, it was uh, about doing a podcast on the Email Marketing Podcast. So... Once we got that sorted out, figured out a topic which uh, is very I'm very passionate about, which is this idea of the slow hustle. And uh, well, I, from I don't actually know too much about it, but I've got some ideas that I think what it's about. We'll probably get into that. And uh, that's Peter's thing: is the slow hustle. And I'm really curious to find out what that means. And uh, hopefully, that means working less and uh, still getting great results in business. So yeah, Peter, how you doing, man? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me, John. Good to have you on the show. Before we get into, you know, this, the, well, I suppose it'll be part of the, the bio or the biography. Can you tell a listener a bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely, man. So, um, you know, some may call me serial entrepreneur. I don't, I don't really like that phrase a whole lot. I just, I, I like hacking on ideas that are intriguing to me. And so, um, being an e-commerce business since 2000, um, and then uh, about four years ago, started a, um, a content marketing platform that's currently patent pending called Good Blogs. Um, and then, you know, in uh, quote unquote spare time, uh, working on a few other ideas. And one of them that was in my head for a while was this idea of slow hustle. I didn't have a name for a while. And it's just it's essentially what it is. I mean, it's, it's us addressing the uh, the manic depressive nature of entrepreneurship and so you know pretty much anybody that I've ever talked to about the these feelings pretty much respond with a oh you too like you deal with that I thought I was the only one and I think it's because not a whole lot of people talk about it and so when I say manic depressive it's like you know the best example I have is that you know one day you can leave work or you know your office and feel like you're really crushing it like you're on top of the world and everything's kind of going right. And then the very next day or the next week, you can feel like the business is crushing you. And typically, they're like really small things that will trigger those feelings. Sometimes you can pinpoint them and sometimes you can't. But any entrepreneur that I've ever talked to, um, I've never had some one person say, no, I've never felt that way. Everybody I've ever talked to um, seems to have that same, those same feelings, those same issues. You know, an interesting question on that note is – is the manic depressive because I you know I I've had that experience and everyone I know who's in business has that ex, has that exact same experience, but an interesting question is, are people manic depressive and then they get into business or are they like so basically so, so is are they manic depressive and that's what draws them to business or is it because they're in business does business make them manic depressive? I think I think it's the latter and I think that what happens is I mean you got you have a few things and one you know you and I were talking to before we started recording is that when you become less connected to the business like you're not dealing with kind of like the you know the hands-on portion of the business whether it's email if you have somebody else doing email um, or something like that you feel a little less connected and then sometimes that will lead to you feeling maybe less effective or you're not getting those real quick you know boosts uh, the high you get from like like you said going to inbox zero or something like that. And so then you start to question whether you're doing things right. You start to maybe question whether you're as smart as you thought you were. Or, I mean, I remember talking to someone who was like, you know, I can get 
20, 30 responses um, that are positive on, on a project that I just released. And then I get one semi-critical negative response, and then that kind of sends him into a tailspin. And then he starts to question kind of everything he's doing. And so I think that, you know, those those things, plus maybe even if you go on the other side where your, your nose is too close to the bark, so to speak, and um, you're really watching like every single metric there is, you can always find something negative, and then that can kind of send thing, send you down the rabbit hole, um, and feeling like maybe things aren't going so right. Mm. I was reminded then of there's this story in a book called Abundance about how it basically explains why the news is so negative because a lot of people think it's oh, it's you know just to sell newspapers, and and that that is why it is, but that doesn't really explain why it's that way. And uh, the reason, if you look at like uh, evolution or evolutionary psychology is that when you have, you've got like two sets of information, positive information or negative information. And positive information is, is sort of, it's not really, va- it's not very valuable survival, survival-wise. Because if you, you know, if you go, you know, if you're in a little tent in the jungle and uh, you're like, oh, positive information is there's no lion out there. Well, if, if you believe it, well, great. Well, there's no lion. If you don't believe it, well, great, you're still safe anyway. Negative information, on the other hand, that there is a lion there. If you believe that, well, great, you're prepared for lion. If you don't, you're dead. So negative information has a higher survival value and what that means is that over time we've been basically bred or we've evolved to uh, our brains literally wired to filter out positive information and fo- like prioritize negative information because it increases our likelihood of survival. So, and whether it all relates to this is I think it's really easy. Like you can get a whole bunch of positive feedback and people can say, good, good, all these great things about you and someone can say just one bad thing. And it's very easy just because of the way the brain works to just zero in on that thing and make that, you know, just let that screw up your whole day or whole week. (laughs) That's very interesting. And it makes me feel better, actually, because then you can say, well, I don't really have too much control over the fact that I feel negative about or uh, the way I feel about this negative situation or the way that I'm focusing in on it. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's really interesting to think that you can have 20 people, you know, virtually or in person pat you on the back and then you can have one person to say, you know, I don't really like the way you did that. And to focus in on that one person where statistically it's like such a small percentage of, um, the feedback you've received. I think part of it is that part, like part of like why I find all that the psychology side of it so interesting is because you can't, you can't change millions of years of evolution. Like just by understanding it or just by doing some like you know, NLP rewiring, like you're not going to be able to change that. Like that's hardwired into the, the very net, like the very neurons in the brain. But what helps, I think, is when you go, well, hang on, that's just, it's normal. Like, and it's going to happen every single time. And it's never going to go away. You can get better at dealing with it. But that general preference for negative information, it's always going to be there. And this is why, like, you know, when we're clicking around online, when we're looking for, you know, procrastinating, and we see some sort of crazy positive story, and I'd be like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Or we see some crazy, oh, there's been a tsunami and, you know, wherever. We're much more likely to click on that negative thing. And it's always going to be that way. But the bit, best bit or the good bit is when you understand that, you can then go, oh, it's just my brain. Like, you know, it's just my brain preferring negative information over positive information. And then you can sort of get some distance from it. Absolutely. And then there's always the idea, too, that if, if, if you're pleasing everyone, and you're not getting negative feedback from, you know, the, the, the crowd or the audience, so to speak, you're probably not doing something right. Um, because, I mean, you want to have a strong enough opinion to where you're appealing to a very specific audience and then everybody else just doesn't really care for what you're doing. Um, and so if you've got it just watered down, like so watered down, whether it's your messaging or your product and you're just kind of trying to please everyone, you please no one. 
Um, everybody's heard that phrase, but I think there's a lot of truth there. And so it's almost like, I mean, if you, like, like you said, once you understand it and you embrace it and you move on, then you can say, look, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of going after some of this, this negative feedback because otherwise I, I'm not, I'm not being as specific enough or I don't, I don't have a strong enough opinion. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, talk to me about how does this relate to the slow hustle? Yeah. So I think one part of it is this manic depressive nature and understanding what the triggers are. And so I'll give you an example from a, a really early episode of the podcast. Uh, a friend of mine um, who's working in a downtown project with Tony Shea was talking about how he, you know, he realized kind of a pattern with himself that every Wednesday morning he was kind of down and then he would start to procrastinate because he just didn't want to like face um, kind of the rest of the week ahead and realized that um, Monday and Tuesdays he worked really, really hard, like kind of burned it at both ends. Um, and by Wednesday morning, he really just had nothing left in his brain just couldn't handle all this stuff that's getting thrown at him that maybe he could handle on a Monday or Tuesday. And so what he did is he scheduled a time block on his, on his calendar recurring every Wednesday morning that he would take his motorcycle and kind of drive up into the hills or drive up into the mountains and just let himself unwind, let his brain kind of clear out. And then when he came back, it was kind of like he had another Monday morning um, and he would get a lot more productivity out of it and he'd be a lot more you know, happier for it. And so, um, like you said, once you identify that you are, you know, that you're going to have some negative feedback and that you're going to maybe respond a certain way, you figure out how to handle it. Um, and some of it is just kind of like, you know, whether you have this meditative process of riding your motorcycle or something like it, going for a run really early in the morning, just finding some of these scheduled uh, recurring uh, events on your calendar so that you make some space to clear your mind and do whatever it is that you need to do to have more of a positive attitude and be able to deal with the stresses um, that are thrown at you as an entrepreneur. And I mean, the reality to me is that the more you can handle these tough situations, these stressful situations, the more productive and the more successful you're going to be because then you can look at them with a clear mind, handle them and move on and not let it wreck the rest of your day, the rest of your week. So, um, and the, you know, the other part of slow hustle, um, and the examples that I like to give is that I'd like to know how someone who's running one, two, three, four businesses, like I talked to a guy today who had four, he has four boys and he had a company with almost a hundred employees doing 15 million a year in revenue. And my question is always like, well, how did you do all that, do everything that you needed to do that was associated with that activity and still stay married? How did you still see your kids grow up? Like, what, what were you doing? Like, what systems did you have in place in order to make sure that you were still living, to make sure that you still had your priorities straight, to make sure that you didn't look back in 20 years and wish you would have done it completely different? Because nobody in their right mind would be on their deathbed and say, I wish I worked more. I don't know a single person that would ever say that because it's ridiculous, right? Everybody wants this, wish they spent more time with their loved ones. And so with that perspective and understanding that um, you know, situation, the truth of that, then what can you do now to make sure you don't have those regrets moving forward? And so that, you know, that for me is really the most important part. And I've, I have four kids myself. And so it's like, you know, I want to make sure that I realize what I'm giving up. And so if I'm spending eight or 10 or 12 hours in the office today, Am I going to be okay with the, with the, the, the time value associated with that? Am I going to be okay with what I traded for you know, that, that number of hours in the office? And if the answer is no, then I need to figure out how to get out of it, right? Yeah, yeah. An interesting question here though is because like, I think when people first get into business, it's, it's the desire for freedom and money and you know, things like that. 
Um, but then what happens is you get to a point where I think you get a lot of what you want or you get that life that you want and you're like, well, what's next? And like, you know, are you going to keep doing it for money or are you going to build a, you know, if you make a million, are you going to go build a $10 million business? What's the next thing? And uh, maybe for some people it's a family, but what about someone who, take Elon Musk, because I don't really know much about his, I know he's divorced, I think, to a couple of times maybe. But uh, so you put it in a position like that where it's, Let's assume, like, take someone who's got a vision to do something very specific in the world. And so it's not so much about the money, but when they're on their deathbed, are they going to wish that they spent more time with their kids or are they going to wish that they helped mankind get to Mars? It's a deep one, man. I think that, you know, I talked about Elon Musk actually quite a bit. And I have an article pulled up right in front of me about Musk. Um, and so it's interesting that you, that you brought this up. Somebody just sent it to me this morning. And I think that, you know, this, this dude's an anomaly. We all know that. Um, and we know that he gave up his family and his kids essentially so that he can chase these these dreams of his. And he's doing some amazing things for humanity. There's no doubt about it. The the question that you know will be answered a long time from now, hopefully, is whether or not he looks back and says, "Yes, I did all these amazing things for humanity, and I um, am uh, happy or okay with the decision I made to you know to give up family for this to chase this vision." I'm really interested to, 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 to know, and that'll be a long time from now, as I stated, on whether that's the case or not. You know, I, I don't think there are too many Musks out there, right? So um, unless you're Elon Musk, who has these huge visions of autonomous vehicles and rockets that, play, that, that can land themselves back where they took off and the Hyperloop, then I'm guessing that um, you'd probably would be happier um, spending that time with family and um, keeping that balance versus um, letting everything else go to the wayside. What do you think, John? I don't know. I think that oh, it's a really hard question to answer because I think this is, it's very much about like what's that vision that you have for yourself. For me personally, it, it's a bit like I don't have a family. I'm not, I don't even, I'm not even in a relationship right now. So, so maybe I'm not the best person to ask. Maybe wait till I have some kids first <laughs> and I'll have a better answer. But I wonder, for me personally, and I don't think this is very much a personal thing, what, I guess what's important to you. I, I really struggle with this because some days I'm like, yeah, I'd love to go off and, and just devote myself to forget about family, forget about any of that and just go after some crazy, crazy stuff. Um, you know. But at the same time, there's other days when I'm like, oh, you know, I'm glad that like, I live in Colombia. I have this amazing lifestyle where I can travel around and live wherever I want and work from anywhere that, as long as I have an internet connection. And this is a life that a lot of people dream about. And it's a great life. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. There's freedom and there's autonomy. There's excitement. Like, it's, it's, it's amazing. But in me, I know that even right now, uh, and anyone who's been probably listening to me or, or reading some of the stuff I put out would, would know this about me. There is that part of me that's like, oh, I wonder if there's more out there. Like I could have, for example, it's sort of like that whole thing, like what really matters in life? Is it really like, uh, you know, eventually settling down, having a family and having kids? Or is it some sort of worthy mission that you have? Is it a mix of both? Uh, is there an absolute answer to it? Or does it really literally just depend on you as a person? And are there different, is everyone going to be fulfilled by settling down and having a family? Because the other thing with the family, I mean, I grew up in a family where my, my parents got divorced when I was seven. So, so I grew up in a broken family and, and a lot of people do. I think what that does is it, it teaches you or maybe at least makes you think or wonder if family is really all it's cracked up to be. And then other, obviously, and it's obviously why people who grew up like that think like that. And obviously people who grew up in really great families usually think family's great. And so there's this, I used to look around when I was a kid and look at other families and, and there, there are some really happy families and really happy married. We're going really deep right now. But there's some really happy families and really <laughs> happy couples out there. 
Um, but I think they're often the, the, I think to me anyway, for as far as I can tell, they're more often the exception than the rule. And so I wouldn't want to get into a relationship and have kids unless I was sure that it was going to be one of those good relationships that I've seen people have. But I'm not, me, I think I personally, I think probably a lot of people are, are, are like this as well. There's not a lot of faith in some of these old institutions, which then, and, and, which then goes, well, if that institution is not as, uh, you know, not as um, good as everyone thinks it is, well, maybe there's other stuff that I would like to think about. So maybe that's why I'm actually more curious and interested in some of the stuff that Elon Musk is doing, for example. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you hit on a, so, you know, a few good points there. Um, is that, you know, what is meaningful to you? And I think that, you know, you asked, you, you know, you, you made the statement earlier is like, you know, you want to build a business, you want to get a certain amount of revenue, you get there and it's like, what's next? Um, and I think that you've, you've got to keep the perspective as far as like, what is meaningful for, for you? Why are you going down this, this path to begin with? Like, what's the, what's the point, right? Is it, is it autonomy? Is it the ability to, to travel and live from anywhere? Is it so you can do um, humanity a greater good? Is it so that your family can be comfortable? I don't folks sight of what it, what the goal was to begin with, right? And so, like my family and I, we travel quite a bit, and we're about to take a you know a ten month stint around the country uh, here in the U.S. And I get folks that are, you know, they have all kinds of different opinions and we're actually going to chronicle the process. It's going to be very interesting, I think, um, to watch from the outside. But, I, you know, some of the folks are like, oh, well, that's going to cost a lot of money, right? And, and I'm, I'm going to cover all that in, in the podcast too, but it actually doesn't cost very much at all. But, you know, let's, let's say it costs X amount of dollars, right? And then I ask folks, I'm like, well, would you take a, you know, would you take a 10 grand or 20 grand a year pay cut to be able to do this and then be able to work from anywhere? And, and the reason I ask that question is because let's say you had a certain threshold of X amount of dollars you wanted to make per year, right? And then you surpass that. Well, most folks aren't willing to back up on their salary in order to have certain freedoms, even though they really do want it, right? And so, but if you had the perspective and remembering what the goal was to begin with, well, then giving up a certain amount of revenue or salary, however you want to call it, in order to have this autonomy that everybody wants to have, is, it's, it's pretty easy. Um, but folks don't – one thing is that they, they don't – they forget kind of what the goal was in the, in the beginning. And um, they don't know kind of what's meaningful to them, like what's most important. And it doesn't, doesn't have to be family. I mean it could be autonomy. It could be you know, maybe they want to take a year off and work for the Peace Corps. You know? But um, losing sight of that and just working for work's sake – um, and working 40 hours a week because that's what everybody does, which is not a good answer, right? And so just doing these things just because everybody else is doing them and forgetting why you're, you know, why you're going down the path to begin with, I think. Yeah, I think, I think that's very valid. Um, I think like a lot of people don't have that clarity. And we're, we're often not taught to have that clarity. Like I, I, I dropped out of high school, which, you know, I, I went to, I grew, I grew up in Sydney, went to a, like a selective school, a smart school. And um, everyone was expected. Everyone goes there and graduates and goes and gets, you know, goes to a good university and gets a good job and all that stuff. And I never wanted that. And I, I don't even, you know, to be honest, I, you know, I've, I've got my own reasons for why. But like deep down, I don't really know why exactly I was like that and other people weren't. But I see that there's in a lot of places, especially in Western society, what's happening is there's these scripts of what you're meant to do and you're meant to go to school and go to college, get a job, maybe start a well, not really start a business. That's not part of most people's scripts, their stories in their head. And I don't know why this is, but most people don't question that story enough. They, maybe they do it a little bit when they're 18 or 19 and the hormones are kind of pushing, you know, making them aggressive or, you know, testosterone's raging, whatever. But most people usually settle down. But, you know, after a couple of years of partying or whatever, 
they they calm down and they just settle into I guess the story that society gives them. And I don't know why that is, or even why there's people, you know, a lot of people out there with jobs who hate it, but they're not really willing, like they're not willing to do what you said, and like you know, drop their salary by say a little bit and go, go you know, uh, become a remote worker, for example, for more freedom. Well, I mean, it's funny. So I just um, got to hear Seth Godin speak a few weeks ago. He had, I mean, had a lot of kind of anti-education talk. And, you know, for folks out there that are pro, you know, higher ed and they're pro traditional schooling, I don't mean to offend. But at the same time, the idea is that we've got this, um, we've got this system that was based in kind of in the industrial industrialism, right? Industrial era. And we're in a post-industrial society. So these systems are built for jobs, a job system that no longer exists, right? Or it's dying. I don't know how you want to look at it. And, and so, you know, you, you go through middle school, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school, higher ed, maybe get an MBA, you go get a job, you work, you know, 45 years, you retire, that, that doesn't exist anymore, right? But people are still following that same path. And so I think that, you know, we've got the system that's broken, the system that's designed for a job, um, you know, a job system that just, just it doesn't exist, right? It's, it's not there. It's dying along with newspapers and magazines, right? And so there's a Mark Twain quote that I love, and it's, whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it is time to pause and reflect. And I like it because... Um, when somebody says, well, you don't do, you know, what you want to do, nobody does that. Nobody does that. That's not normal. And I'm like, good, I'm on the right path. Because when I, when I find myself just doing what everybody else is doing, living where everybody else is living, living how everybody else is living, then I know I'm doing something wrong. Um, and I say that because that to me is kind of like this, you know, I'm going to offend some folks. And it's like this herd mentality where you're just like, you're just going to do what everybody else is doing. You don't really know why, but that's just what everybody does. You, you get married, you have kids, you get a, you know, buy a new house, you get two new cars, you work at jobs you don't really like. And that's just what everybody does. Um, and that to me is like, okay, because everybody's doing that, I need to figure something else out. And it just, to me, like another quote that I just heard recently from a friend that's a storyteller, he said, you know, um, and this is a quote from a, from another gentleman. I can't I can't quote who it's from, so my apologies. But he's like, you know, you find yourself your character is at a crossroads, and your and your character has two options. He can go down the path that's tried and true, and you know the you pretty much know how it's going to turn out, or you can take your character down into the deep dark forest, and you always want to take your character into the deep dark forest. And sometimes it's going to end up positive and sometimes it's going to end up negative, but there's only one way to find out. And so that for me um, is kind of what drives a lot of the decision-making process in, in our household. Mm. Yeah. It's a very interesting topic because people don't really like to talk about it. Like this whole, like that, that intelligence isn't even, <laughs> there are a lot of, like a lot, yeah, some people are smarter than others. And I think some people have a capacity to question the rules a lot more than other people too. And the ones that don't are the ones that, you know, end up just going along with whatever the story is that society gives them. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just, I think it's a fascinating thing that, that happens. And, and what also happens too is you've got these same scripts that, that happen at every level of the game. Because I've seen, I remember um, I'm in a community right now online of, of entrepreneurs. So people talk, you know, everyone likes to complain about, you know, when you, when you first, well, not really complain, but everyone jokes about how, you know, when, when you first decide to start a business and you tell your family or you tell your parents or whatever, they're always like, you're crazy. You, this is never going to work. Like, what, what the hell are you doing to yourself? You're going to completely ruin your life, you know? And, and so there's this pressure from the outside that you, you're not going to be successful. Like, even if you try, like, you know, you should just stick with your career, stick with the safe option. And then what I've noticed is you get the same similar, yeah, the same or similar scripts happening in the entrepreneurial community where one of them that I've seen is 
what happens is people seem to go through this process. They build a business, they make some money, and they get to a point where they're like, all right, well, I'm not that mo- honestly not that motivated by money. So, you know, what's next? And they start thinking, oh, they hear stories about Elon Musk um, or, you know, other people who are doing this, you know, much bigger stuff than, you know, building, say, you know, you know AdSense sites or doing marketing consultancies and all that sort of stuff. Uh, much bigger than that sort of things, things that are going to really gonna change the world. And they see that, and I, I think I'm definitely into this group because, like, I, I, I like money and I like the freedom that I have and the lifestyle that I have, but I don't have, like, I don't have that much interest in building a, you know, like a $1 million company or a $2 million company or, you know, something, just something like that. It seems like I, I, I might as well just relax and hang out in Colombia or Thailand and have a good time because um, the money's not that interesting. So then it's like, all right, well, let's go think bigger. Let's go think, well, I wonder what, um, you know, what it would be like to go and think bigger and get involved in some crazy stuff. Like go to Silicon Valley, for example, and go, you know, work your way into either a startup or, you know, co-found something, something huge. And I've seen this happen online and it will happen in conversations, you know, face-to-face sometimes. There's always a few people there who are entrepreneurs who've been through that period where people said they couldn't make it. And they, and they, and they, what they do is they turn around to the people who want to question the, the rules within the entrepreneurial community a little bit, and they say, "No, you should stay small. Like you need to, you know, you need to, you know, make some money. Focus on building like a small business before you go and build a big one. Go and make some a little bit of money before you go and make a lot of money. Like there's this attitude of you've got to do. There's this script they have in their heads of you've got to do something small before you go and do something big. And I think it's fascinating because it's like that script that we all have that our parents put up push on us when we try. Our parents or our friends, whoever it is, when we try and start a business." It happens at every level of the game. It does, Ben. And I think that what happens, in my opinion, is especially when you're seeking advice from somebody that's within your industry, they have all this industry baggage. And so um, even folks that are super creative, I mean, I, I, I find myself in this situation as well. It's like, oh, nobody does it that way. Like, you don't even want to try that because that's just not going to work. Um, and it's interesting to me is that you get advice from people that are outside of your industry. They'll say, well, why don't you do it this way? which is a seemingly obscene or just ridiculous question from somebody within the industry, and they would never ask it because they've, they've got this baggage in the back of their mind that you know nobody does it that way. And you just fill in the blank, whatever the example is. Um, but those crazy ideas are obscene or absurd, I should say, absurd questions um, are kind of where the most creative ideas come from. And so I, I, don't, you know, and I don't know what the process would be to get yourself out of that except for I always like to ask people that are outside of the industry that have absolutely no understanding of how it works and I like to throw my, run my ideas past them and see kind of what ideas they come up with. Um, it just happened to me the other day where I was on the other side and I said, well, I know this might be an ignorant question so you know, please don't, you know, don't be too critical but what if you did it this way? And everybody in the room was like, Holy shit, man! We've never thought of that. Like we did, we never thought of it that way. And it was only because everybody bagged a certain product a certain way, and they've just never seen it another way. They haven't thought about it that way. It was a very simple solution to a, a super difficult problem that they've been having, and they just hadn't thought of it because they're so entrenched in it. Yeah, it's amazing how this stuff works. So, how does this relate then to circle back to the slow hustle? What are you trying to achieve with the slow hustle? What are you really trying to teach people? I know it's a bit about the the manic depressiveness, is it just how to deal with that or what's the end result you're moving towards? Yeah, um, it's a deep question, man. And um, there's, there's a bunch of different things here at play. One is I don't like the fact that, you know, as entrepreneurs, we only share the rosy side of things. Like you hear about people with massive exits, you hear about people gaining lots of funding, 
you, you very rarely hear about the real difficult side of the business. You know, and I had someone the other day that started a, a company and six months later, she, you know, she comes up to me and says, Hey, I just want you to know that I understand. I understand a lot of the stuff and a lot of the reasons you say, you say things a certain way and, and act a certain way because from the outside, everything looks rosy. Life of an entrepreneur looks easy. Um, and now I understand like all these other things that are really difficult that nobody even talks about. And so one, one of the reasons or, or the goals is to bring some of these things to light, not to depress people, but to make them feel like they're not the only ones out there that are having these issues. And then inevitably through these conversations and interviews that we have on the show, they can learn about ways on how to deal with them, uh, curb them, keep them, you know, keep them at bay as much as possible. These different tactics, like I mentioned earlier, like the motorcycle riding. And then the other side is just like, you know, the slowness aspect is just like, you know, keeping the priorities straight and, and, and figuring out these different mechanisms, a lot of them tactical on how to make sure that you, um, that you do just that, you know, that you take care of yourself and your family and your friends and not lose sight of yourself and what's most important and what's meaningful in life. So, um, it's a heavy, um, it's a heavy answer, man, but that's what I've got. (laughs) Cool. Well, uh, Right on time. So let's wrap it up here. If people want to learn more about you or the podcast or if they want to get in touch with you or if you have any products people can buy, where's the best place to do all of that? Sure, man. No monetization right now. We're just, um, this is like a, a, a passion project, so to speak. We'll figure that other part of the business out later. But right now, just this is some of my most meaningful work and um, getting tweets and, and emails and texts from people saying that they listened to an episode and, and implemented some of the strategies that we talked about. Um, and made a real difference in their life. Like that's like, those are the highlights of my day, man. And so um, you can uh, check out slowhustle.com. Uh, hit up Slow Hustle on iTunes um, to download or subscribe. I'm at uh, Peter Alwood. That's P-E-T-E-R-A-W-A-D on Twitter. At Slow Hustle on Twitter for the show. Um, and uh, Peter at slowhustle.com. If you want to email me directly, I love chatting with people, man. So I can do that all day long. Awesome. Cool. I'll have links to all of that in the show notes at themcmethod.com. Peter, thanks for coming on the show, man. John, appreciate it, man. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you want to discover more insider tips, tricks, and secrets about driving sales with email marketing, sign up for daily email tips from the autoresponder guy. Go to dropdeadcopy.com slash podcast, sign up, confirm your email address, and I'll send you daily emails on how to improve your email marketing and make more sales via email. You'll find out why open rates don't matter and the seven-letter word that underlies all effective marketing and much more. Oh,